0: This week on Geek Explained, as we continue the March to 200, part two of Bat March coincides with our four year anniversary. To celebrate four years of Geek Explained, I'm counting down my top five Batman comics of all time. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode marks four years of the podcast. I mean, technically it's tomorrow since we started on March 10th of 2018, but still four years of Geek Explained. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has been listening to the podcast, whether you were there from the beginning or you've jumped on somewhere in between. I am incredibly blessed to have you all here listening to me every single week. Week. But this is not just a celebration of our four year anniversary. It's also Bat March. Bat March is rolling on strong uh, after last week's episode. I have seen the Batman. I have loved the Batman. More on the Batman later. But. Uh, We're not talking about film Batman right now. This episode, we're talking about comic Batman, and specifically, my top five Batman comics of all time. I'm counting them down in this episode, and it is going to be a doozy. So stay tuned for that, as well as this week's Comics Countdown, where I'm going to chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. But before we get to all of that goodness, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No comics news this week. There wasn't really a whole lot of news to speak of, but we will continue to trudge on with our four pieces of news. First off, kicking things off with miscellaneous news. I know it has nothing to do with comic books, but I need to just talk about it. Tony Khan bought Ring of Honor. For all you wrestling fans out there, this is huge news. Uh, Tony Khan, the owner of AEW, the you know, fastest rising company in pro wrestling in North America, uh, has also bought Ring of Honor, which was on its last legs, about to I'm assuming shut down soon. Uh so this is a big deal. This is a big deal for wrestling, this is a big deal for that world. So I am very excited about it. Also, in miscellaneous news, Assassin's Creed Valhalla drops its dawn of Ragnarok DLC this week. Uh it's supposed to be thirty-five hours Uh, That's a game. That's an entire game. That's the same length if not longer than Spider-Man Miles Morales. So they are officially blurring the lines between DLC and expansions here. But uh, I've really enjoyed Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I'm looking forward to picking this up. Maybe when it goes on sale. But this should be good. And if you are a fan of that game and if you've been joining that game, then all power to you. Uh, Hopping over to TV news, we have the announcement that a Walking Dead spinoff is in the works entitled Isle of the Dead, where we find Negan and Maggie going through New York, I guess. Uh, New York hasn't really been uh, looked at in the Walking Dead universe, so that's an interesting locale. Uh, Lauren Cohen and... uh, dean uh dean morgan morgan dean i can't remember his name uh but negan uh they're both uh jeffrey dean morgan that's what it is uh they're both reprising their roles for this and i guess they're trying to get as many spinoffs off the ground before the show ends so uh i probably won't be watching it but i love that these characters are continuing on they're very interesting so if you're gonna watch it again more power to you But the one piece I am also very excited about to talk about is the Batman. The Batman released last week, unless you've been living under a rock and you did not know that. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, More thoughts on that film later, trust me. But uh, the big... News from this film is that it made some money. Uh, The Batman was able to net $134 million domestic its opening weekend, blowing out all early predictions. And you know, you love to see it, you love to see good films succeed. Uh, Like I said, we will be talking about the Batman in full at a later date, but. For now, that's going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of Batman, that's going to take us all the way to our main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, where for our four year anniversary celebration, I'm going to be counting down my top five Batman comics of all time. Four years. Can you believe that? Four years ago I started this podcast and since then I have spent basically every single week since then thinking about this podcast. And even though I've touched on tons of things in the podcast, I've Ranked things. I've given my top five of things of so many things from comics to video games to films, yada, yada, yada. I've never talked about my personal top five Batman stories of all time. Well, since it's Bat March, since it's our four-year anniversary, we're gonna do it here. We're gonna be talking about my personal top five Batman stories of all time. We're talking comic books. We're talking from the beginning all the way till now. I have been hard at work putting this list together. It was very difficult. There was a ton of Batman comics to narrow down, and even narrowing them down to five I still had to put in an honorable mention (laughs) because I can't help it Batman comics are pretty usually the best comics coming out from DC and sometimes it's because they're the only comics coming out from DC but I have never felt like I have picked up a Batman comic and come away with it without learning something whether it's for good or for bad whether it's You know, I learned something more about myself, whether I learned that, oh, I don't like this story. (laughs) But throughout my entire, you know, Time being a comic book fan, being a fan of comic books, a reader of comic books, a consumer of comic book related media, Batman has always been there. And for better or for worse, Batman is one of the most popular, if not the most popular comic book character in the world. Everybody knows who Batman is. And with With that comes a lot of Batman comics, and so I had to dig deep into my library, I had to dig deep into a lot of Batman's comic book history to come up with what I believe are my top five of all time, and so... Let's get into this. Uh, Really quick disclaimer. I know I don't like doing disclaimers, but I feel like it should be said here. This is my personal list. This is not the objective like, oh, this is the best, period, and there any books that aren't on here are garbage. Uh, This is just my personal experience. Everybody's going to have a different top five, and if you have a different top five from mine or if there's a book that you think I've overlooked... Let me know. Uh, Send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Let me know on social media, Twitter, Instagram at geeksplainedpod. I would love to hear your recommendation for what your favorite Batman comic is. Let me know. I want to get that discussion going. But, Let's get into this honorable mention. I have one honorable mention before we get into the top five, and it is Batman White Knight. I'm going to be talking light spoilers for the entire uh, series. I'm going to try to stay away from some of the biggest stuff, but I am going to be talking about these books and why I love them. And sometimes when talking about why I love something, there are spoilers involved. You can hear the sirens, the spoiler police are coming to get me, (laughs) but My honorable mention is Batman White Knight from 2017, written and illustrated by Sean Gordon Murphy. This was a miniseries that took place in its own continuity as part of the DC Black Label, or at least was folded into DC Black Label when they decided, oh, DC Black Label is going to be a thing. And for me, this book was an instant classic. This was something that felt timeless. This was something that felt both somehow lived in while feeling incredibly relevant and modern today, Uh, this takes place in a Gotham that is torn apart by the war between Joker and the Batman. A Gotham that has dealt with not just Batman's war on crime, but specifically how it's changed the perception of the Batman to the greater populace, both of the upper class and both of the lower class. Now, this series uh, is special. And it's done a ton of things that I hadn't personally seen in a comic book before, like the Harley Quinn twist. Uh, Light spoilers here. Uh, There's two Harley Quinns. You find out in issue two that the Harley Quinn that we all kind of come to expect nowadays, the scantily clad, kind of hopped up on whatever kind of medication it takes to get that kind of energy, is not the Harley Quinn that we met in the animated series. And the reveal that at a certain point Harlene quinzel just kind of left because she couldn't deal with who the joker was and another harley came in and joker didn't even realize i thought was inspired and we'd never seen something like that before and it was the first kind of clue that this was going to be something special uh the book is also extremely socially relevant Digging into not just the collateral damage that Batman causes, but also the effect of a war on crime on the less fortunate when it comes to Gotham City. Uh, all of Batman's, you know, crime-fighting escapades happen to transpire in the poorer neighborhoods of Gotham City. And that both keeps them, you know, somewhat dead. Uh, preoccupied with trying to rebuild their neighborhood and not able to look at the huge social inequality in the series. And it allows those who are rich and in power to buy up these torn up neighborhoods, turn them and turn them for a profit. And it's really, it's something that you don't always think about when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Batman comics or really just superhero comics in general. Um, everybody likes to talk about how like, Oh, you know, Batman, And I guess comic books as a whole, you know, they're becoming too woke. They're becoming too, you know, focused on trying to, you know, be socially relevant. And for me, there's a certain amount of, yeah, duh, they should be. Comic books at their core have always been more or less a window into our lives, into our um Into the world outside your window, you know, Marvel likes to say that. And with the idea of this book focusing not just on the superheroics, but also the actual impact that that has on Gotham's Less Fortunate, that results in a book that feels not just like a superhero story, but like a genuine uh, introspection onto our society as it stands. The idea of, you know, this book is that, Batman is not always right all the time. I love me a flawed Batman, and even though a lot of people like to look at the, you know, the Bat God persona that was instituted and more or less crafted by Grant Morrison, as great, as great a creator as they are, and they are one of the best, um, I enjoy a Batman who is flawed, who makes mistakes, who overlooks things, and there is not a greater example of that than in this book. This Batman has become a little shut off. He's got a greater bat family that he doesn't really respond to. And so the plights of the ordinary folk in Gotham City are kind of beneath him and he really does sell it that way. And so this book while feeling timeless in the in the architecture and the designs and the fact that we see at one point multiple batmobiles from both the animated series to the films to the uh video games pretty much every batmobile and every kind of design you can think of is here uh it's also incredibly referential to its history to its past uh the idea that this book can be evergreen while also having a certain you know through line of continuity is a very thin tight room to tightrope to walk and this book does it beautifully um the also the best thing about it is that the book is still going you know the original batman white knight i personally think is where the book is at its best Um, we did get curse of the white knight which was the sequel follow-up that dealt with uh, Asriel and the fact that Bruce Wayne and the Waynes might not be as squeaky clean as they are. I know, shocker. Uh, we got the uh, White Knight Presents Harley Quinn, which I thought was a really solid, if a little rushed, miniseries. And we are going to be getting Beyond the White Knight, where John Gordon Murphy gives his take on Batman Beyond. Uh, so this world is continuing on, and the adventure continues with this book, which I really enjoy. And if you want to pick this up you don't necessarily need a whole lot of batman knowledge there is certain things that they'll mention like jason todd uh the disparity between the first harley quinn and the second harley quinn but they do a really good job of making sure that you the reader are in a good place to understand the stuff before they start throwing new stuff at you so i really enjoy it i think it's a great batman read and if you want to learn my entire thoughts on it i did a dedicated episode to this as part of our Joketober uh series that we did years ago it was back in episode 79 If you want full, unfiltered, spoilerific thoughts on the book, I dedicated an entire episode to it, go ahead and check that out. But, that is our honorable mention out of the way, so let's dive in to these top 5 books, and first on the list at number 5, I have Dark Victory from 1999. This was written by someone I do not feel the need to name with art by the incomparable Tim Sale. This is another mini series and was the direct follow up and sequel to The Long Halloween. In fact, this is basically a longer Long Halloween where The Long Halloween was 12 issues. This one is, I believe, 14. And this book is really interesting, and it goes overlooked quite often. But I genuinely think it is the true look at Gotham in its descent to madness. You know, we talk about... I always thought growing up that it was year one, long Halloween, and then we just get the Batman that we know. And I remember it was probably... Probably late 2000s when i stumbled upon this book and i didn't realize that long halloween had a sequel and the idea behind long halloween is that you know not only does it establish the holiday killers the mystery there it gives us the origin of two-face and we get this you know batman who is full-on detective noir mode uh it's billed pretty much as the passing of the torch, the fall away of the old guard with the mob and the crime families into the new wave, uh, super era of Gotham. But I really think that Gotham's descent into madness comes in this book because the thing about the long Halloween is that it is true, you know, true and in- Really a uh, a Detective Noir story focused on the holiday killings. The characters like the Joker, like other supervillains, are here, but they're off to the side. It's never the main crux of the story. In Dark Victory, they are front and center. We see the last gasps of the crime families. We see the last gasps of... Corruption in the GCPD and all the courts and everything, and we see the big debut of Two-Face in all his glory alongside several different, um, whether you want to talk about supervillains, costume vigilantes, uh, supernatural villains, they're all here, and I love it. Two-Face gets his time to shine where... The Long Halloween was much more about Harvey Dent's descent into Two-Face. This one is about Two-Face really taking center stage. And I love that this not only is able to be a story on its own, but you get a lot of enrichment from reading The the Long Halloween prior to this. You see Gordon and Batman lamenting the loss of their friend Harvey Dent. You get to see the effects that Harvey Dent and his turn into Two-Face have had on the city as a whole. And you also get to see the effects that crime and the last, again, the last gasps of organized crime have on a little boy named Dick Grayson. That's right. Dark Victory is a Dick Grayson origin story, and I love it to death. We get to see Dick Grayson at Haley's Circus, happy with his family. We get to see the death of the Graysons and the opening page. I believe it's of either part two or part three. Um, just opens up with this big splash page. There's no, you know, pre-gaming this. There's uh, There's no way to really get invested in the story. It just throws you directly into it, much like tragedy. Tragedy does not wait for you to be comfortable. And so I love the depiction of Dick Grayson here. He's athletic. He's a little rambunctious, a little too earnest, and him growing that relationship with batman is the heart of this book uh the also the other heart of this book is the detective noir genre like long halloween is widely regarded as like the detective book for batman i would argue that dark victory is more of a detective noir story because we have to you know we get these clues from the uh the crossword killer who is the next you know next in line and we have to piece together those clues, how they connect, who they're going after, why that connects here and there. And all the entire time, there's this underlying mystery of why this is happening and why is it connected to Harvey Dent. It's a very cool mystery that, unlike Long Halloween, doesn't get, a little, doesn't get too convoluted near the end. Long Halloween gets really weird near the end of the book, and they try to shuffle around you know, the identity of the holiday killer to provide suspense. And I think genuinely the uh, team on Dark Victory decided we're going to make this a little bit more streamlined. Does it make it any you know any less wacky? No, absolutely not. It's a Batman book. What do you expect? But I think there's a better through line through the book to if you are following along with the clues, you can make the uh, you can make the discovery and you can solve it alongside the Batman. And I think that's wonderful, and that's how all Detective Noir stories should be. It should give the viewer or the reader all the clues up until the big reveal so that they have the opportunity to put the pieces together themselves. But that's just me. And... Dick Grayson's relationship with Batman is something that I absolutely love about this book. At the start of Dark Victory, Batman is reeling from the, uh, from the turning and corruption of Harvey Dent, and so he's like, I, I work alone, I don't need anybody else, I'm not even gonna really confide in Gordon, which is really sad, um, But throughout this book, he takes Dick Grayson in, he learns how to trust, he learns how to believe again. And that's something that if you watch The Batman uh, with Robert Pattinson, is something that's very prevalent in that story too. Him realizing that vengeance is not the way and that hope is really what he needs to inspire is very much at the core of this book. So when people are like, oh, you know, if you want to learn or if you want to get ready for... Uh, the Batman, you should read Long Halloween. I would argue it's this. You gotta put Dark Victory up there. And personally, if, it, if I haven't made it clear, I like this better than Long Halloween. Long Halloween's iconic. It is a monolith in Batman comics for a reason. But for my personal reading, Dark Victory is a better story. Better characters, a better, more compelling mystery. You get Dick Grayson, which... You gotta have Dick Grayson. It's a core part of of a good Batman story, and I just think that honestly, it's super underrated. It's getting love recently because people are like, "Oh, I want to." I've read Long Halloween. So I'll read what's next. Dark Victory is the way to go, and Dark Victory is one of the best Batman stories, period, of all time. And what I love is that it's. It fights against the idea that the best Batman stories have him as a loner that is constantly fighting a one-man war on crime. The lesson that Batman learns in the story, and therefore the reader learns in the story, is that as much as he wants to fight against it, the Batman is never alone. And you know what? That's a good thing. So that is my number five. Love Dark Victory. It's a wonderful, classic, all-time story. Next up. And number four, I have a little bit of a newer one. We're going from 1999 to 20 years later to 2019 with Batman Universe. This was written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Nick Darrington. And I know, hold on, I know, I have been very critical of Brian Michael Bendis's time at DC Comics, and I think rightfully so, but... I will say the shining light of Bendis at DC is Batman Universe. Now, I did an entire uh, episode on Superman Up in the Sky, written by Tom King, with art by Andy Kubert, and that was part of a, you know, two-part crossover, essentially, where Tom King was writing Batman in the main book at the time, where Bendis was writing Superman at the time, and they decided, oh, for, you know, the Walmart books, and of course, later on, collected into their own uh, series, we're going to have the two writers swap. Tom King's going to write Superman, Ben is going to write Batman. And what this resulted in was a miniseries that became an all-timer for the Batman. And let me just get right in front of this. Nick Darrington is one of my favorite artists of all time. Nick Darrington is incredible. Incredible art. Every single book he's done, I've been blown away by, and this is no exception. Batman is essentially going across the universe to track down a Fabergé egg that has mysteriously been lifted, a caper that takes him from Gotham City to Thanagar, Gorilla City, and beyond. Through space, through time, there's nowhere that Batman will not go to solve this mystery. And what I love about this story is that it's essentially a love letter to the Silver Age. The wacky, nonsensical Batman stories that a lot of people come to know and love when it comes to the Batman. Whether you're introduced to the Batman through the animated series, through the films... It is inevitable that you will hear about Adam West's take on the Batman, the Wacky Knight. And a lot of that DNA comes from the Silver Age, the Silver Age of comics where everything was fun and nothing went against the Comics Code authority. And while there is a case to be made about censorship and how inherently wrong that is in the creative process, it resulted in a lot of fun, very ridiculous stories that people still enjoy today there's an entire show based on silver age batman called batman brave and the bold which is wonderful and if there was no silver age wacky batman we wouldn't have gotten any batman that came after it we wouldn't have gotten the ultimate anti-silver age batman from frank miller and everything that came out of that and we wouldn't have gotten batman universe now, this story uh, deals with a much more lighthearted Batman. He is still he's almost I would I would say this is the closest that we've gotten to like a DCAU Batman when it comes to the brevity, the humor while still being super deadpan about everything. There's a moment when uh, him and Green Lantern are on Dinosaur Island and he mentions like, I love dinosaurs and Hal Jordan's like, you have you love dinosaurs? He's like, I have a dinosaur in the Batcave. And it's like, oh yeah, he just he, he loves dinosaurs. And I love stuff like that. And speaking of that, we get a killer supporting cast. Batman goes across the universe and he doesn't go alone. We've got green arrow we've got green lantern we've got nightwing which is my personal favorite chapter of the story we see him interact with people like jonah hex the hawks all manner of dc superhero and villain is opened up in this story and batman goes on an odyssey trying to solve this mystery and inside that, you get a tour of the DC universe. Like I said, you get to go from very much earthbound, you know, Gotham City, Central City, the other cities on Earth, all the way out to Thanagar and Ran, and you get to go backwards and forwards in time. This book go this book takes you on a trip just as much as it takes Batman. And alongside all that you get a really fun caper. I wouldn't say it's like a Detective Noir mystery like the last book, but you get this fun little caped caper that you try to solve. Like, what is the purpose of this Fabergé egg? Why is it so important? And why is someone going all across the universe to try and keep it away from Batman? And his mystery-solving prowess is put to the test here alongside some of the best Brave and the Bold-styled team-ups that I've seen in a comic book, and the best thing about this, and the thing that I think makes it deserve its place on the list, is that unlike some of the books on this list, this... Story is all ages and very new reader friendly. Uh, You will have kind of a tough time handing Dark Victory or some of the other books on this list to a child and say, this is Batman. But with Batman Universe, you can hand this to them and say, this is Batman. He loves dinosaurs. And I just really appreciate that. I was introduced to comic books and to comic book characters at a young age. And when I was watching Batman the Animated Series as a small child, I was like, this is Batman. This was a story that I can... Yes get some adult themes out of but ultimately this is a story that I can understand just as much as an adult can understand and that's something that's beautiful about Batman universe in this era of you know being really dark and gritty and realistic and dealing with all these terrible things which there is of course merit in. At the time, Tom King was having one of the most controversial Batman runs with a Batman who was incredibly compromised, both emotionally and mentally. And I loved it. I love that Tom King series. But there is room, I think, for both that as well as a Batman who is sure of himself and can take a, you know, all ages reader and say, hey, let's go on a fun adventure. And alongside that, the sensibilities of Brian Michael Bendis as a writer are on full display here. You know, we've been going through uh, Ultimate Spider-Man in the book club every single Friday, and something that I love about that story is how real these characters feel, even though they are in completely unrealistic situations. And that's what batman universe does you know i've been again very critical about brian michael bennis for a lot of his stuff just because i feel like he has like one story that he wants to tell oftentimes and he just kind of slips characters in and out but for this this was something i hadn't gotten from him before this was a country world and reality hopping Fun mystery that didn't take itself super seriously, but also took the character of Batman incredibly seriously. There's never a point where Batman is like, I am the gritty Dark Knight and I need to, you know, snap this guy's leg to make him talk. But also Batman fully commits. To being Batman. There's a scene where he talks to a Thanagarian soldier and and the soldier's like, oh, you don't you you don't fly? Like, what is your cape for? He's like, I glide. And, you know, there's this moment where like everyone, at least once an issue in this miniseries, is like, Batman, you're freaking weird. And he's like, I know, but I'm Batman. And I love winks like that. I love the idea that you can have a very dark and gritty Batman while also having a Batman that can be fun and whimsical and swashbuckling, and I adore that about the character. It's something that I think a lot of people tend to overlook, especially when it comes to like some of his lighter aspects, like Robin and stuff. They're like, Batman doesn't work with Robin, whatever. Batman has always worked, regardless of who is writing him or what treatment they give him. And this book shows that from Dark Victory to this, very different stories, very different depictions of Batman, but it's still Batman through and through. You would never say that the Batman in either of these stories is the wrong Batman, because they play up different aspects of the character that ultimately result in the character being as true to the spirit of this iconography of the character that there's always been so i love batman universe it's an incredible story and you should check it out or like i did give it a reread if you haven't read it recently now, coming in at number three from 2011, we have The Court of Owls. Written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo, this was the debut of Batman in the New 52. It took place in Batman Volume 2, issues 1 through 12. A full year was dedicated to the Bat and his war against the Court of Owls. And what I love about this story is that it, ultimately is a story about Bruce Wayne versus Gotham city. The story opens up with Batman, you know, fairly late into his career saying, look, I know everything about Gotham. I am Gotham. I am what Gotham represents. I know every nook and cranny of this city. It is mine. And then him realizing that that's not even close to the case. His entire world is flipped upside down and he is given the, heave ho by a brand new threat that was completely uh completely new this court of owls had not been seen before it was a creation solely made for this series by snyder and capullo and oh boy is it the it's one of if not the biggest and most uh important contributions to the Batman mythos in the modern era. So I'm talking modern post two, year the year 2000. Um, the Court of Owls is iconic. This shadowy organization. We've heard of this kind of thing before. Shadowy organizations running things from the background. Illuminati, uh, Spectre, um, you know, all of these things that we've seen recently. And... It's not a new concept, but the treatment and the delivery of it is what makes it new. This incredibly old organization of Gotham's elite—anybody could be part of the Court of Owls, and if they've got a mask, you know they've got—you know they've got talons. And speaking of which, the talons are terrifying. They are little super agile Terminators that can come out from anywhere because there's tunnels and uh, passageways throughout Gotham that they've been using for centuries because they predate Batman. They predate a lot of what Gotham City knows and loves. And so there's this ancient threat coming from the heart of Gotham that Batman had no idea about until this story. And so you get to see his faith shaken, his faith in Gotham City, his faith in his partners and his faith in himself completely shattered and you have to watch him build himself back up and learn about how much he's missed and how much the court of owls has its talons dug into the city Uh, it's also a great bat family story you know you've got you following this you have death of death of the family which is a fine story not one of my favorites but it's fine and I really dig the fact that the cor- the Court of Owls and subsequently the Night of Owls is this big Batman-wide event that everyone is basically like, okay, the Court of Owls are everywhere. The Talons, there are they have an army of undead Talons that can strike at anybody at any time, and so we see the Bat family mobilize, a modern Bat family. Full strength going out to try and combat this threat and i love it the war for the soul of gotham between batman and the court is legendary at this point i don't think i need to tell you how much it has shaped a lot of modern batman stories people are clamoring every single you know I would say every single month, if not every six months, that, okay, when's Court of Owls coming back? Or, okay, when are we adapting Court of Owls? And I just think that it's it's been so long since we've had something that iconic uh, actually be a mainstay that wasn't you know created in the 40s, 50s, or 60s. You know, These characters have lived for so long because... You know, we continue to tell new stories with them, and I'm so excited to see how the Court of Owls are utilized throughout the next 50 years of the character. You know, we're sitting in, we're sitting over 80 years of Batman, and when it comes to year 100, like... What is it going to be like? What are the core? What's the core going to be like? And how are we going to look back onto this story as kind of the birth of the modern, modern Batman and see where that character and these stories have gone since then? This story also does a great job in redefining Gotham City because there's this saying that everybody talks about is that Gotham City is a character in itself, that Gotham City is one of the best supporting characters for the Batman. And I love it. I really genuinely do. But there are certain adaptations and certain stories where that could not be farther from the truth. In a lot of stories, both on the page, on the screen, on your TV, in video games, Gotham City is just a city. It is just a backdrop for the events that are happening in it. In this story, we get to see the idea of Batman of Batman being, you know, of the city, and Gotham City is not just a character in the story. Gotham City bites back. The history of this city is on full display. The almost, you know, biblical reckoning that is supposed to come upon the city through the court and through their talents is stuff that you'd look at in, you know, Shakespearean tragedies. And I love that this was the first out of the gate story for the new 52 new 52 has gotten a lot of shit rightfully so for a lot of it but one thing that it did supremely well was that snyder capullo run everything about that run everything including and almost especially super heavy uh is iconic and it's fantastic and even if it's not your favorite batman story it's up there. I, myself, do not have it in, in my, you know, top two. But it is top five regardless of any era, regardless of any time period. Court of Owls is an all-timer, and it is going to be an all-timer for a long time to come, which I absolutely adore. And because of that, because of its instant success, it has been adapted, a lot actually um the court has been adapted in gotham in that show the court has been adapted for uh video games it's coming up the latest batman video game gotham knights which i am supremely excited about is going to be adapting the court of owls just without batman and the court story has been adapted as well in animation the Dekamu or the DC animated movie universe, (laughs) uh, adapted this story in multiple parts and the court has spread its influence throughout the comics, you know, the parliamentary of owls showing off different, um, Different uh, timelines where people became owls or people became Talons. You know, Dick Grayson Talon is a huge deal. And right now in the Suicide Squad book, Talon is a major character in that story. So the Court of Owls are going to be sticking around for a long time. And it all stems from this story. Some of the most inventive Batman book one of the most inventive Batman books I've ever read. Um, Something that not only played with Batman as a character, but also the mythology of Batman and the mythology of Gotham City. It is a classic, and it is something that is going to be around for a very long time. So that is my number three. Absolutely love this book. But as we get into the home stretch here, we're talking about all timers. We're talking about the best of the best. We're talking about... Books that will stand the test of time and you can hand to anyone and say, this is Batman. This is the Batman. And I think for this next pick, at number two, we're going to have to go back, back, back in time. All the way back to the far-flung age of 1987 for Batman Year One. Written by Frank Miller, art by Devin Mazzucchelli. Uh, This took place in Batman Volume 1, issues number 404 through 407. Four issues. Four issues to tell the definitive origin of the Batman. And you know what? They pulled it off. I have said before on another podcast, Comics Collective, go check them out, that I believe personally I like Zero Year more than Year One but there is no disputing that Year One is an all-time classic, and it stems a lot from the viewpoint of the creator. Frank Miller has done a lot of things. Frank Miller has written a lot of comics, some good, some very, 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 very bad, but at this point in 1987, He was coming off of uh, The Dark Knight Returns. He was coming off of Daredevil Born Again. And he decided we are going to tell the definitive origin for this character. How he came to be and what this character represents. And Frank Miller was as on the pulse in 1980 in the 1980s as tom king is in the you know 2010s and 2020s you know he is a writer who knows what the world is like today and knows how to put that you know that view of what's going on with the world through the lens of comic books and through the lens of batman specifically and frank miller though his Later outings with Batman would not be quite as good. Um, Hit the ground running with Dark Knight Returns and then followed it up with this, telling both the end and the beginning of the Batman story. And what I just adore about this is that it's not just a Batman story. I said before, the best Batman stories are where he is not alone, and in every single one of these stories, that is the truth. And... Maybe it's betraying my uh, my love for the Bat family over a Batman who is alone, but the idea that Batman has a supporting cast, that he has uh, a network, a safety net of people who believe in him and who are there for him is something that I look for in my Batman stories. And that is absolutely something here because it is not just a Batman story. It is also a Jim Gordon story. It's almost more of a Jim Gordon story than a Batman story. But Uh, Both of them take center stage here. Bruce Wayne coming into Gotham for the first time after leaving to go train to be the Bat. And Jim Gordon entering the city for the first time after a shaky transfer from Chicago. And the intertwining of their stories is fantastic. Uh, Jim learning about the corruption and learning how to fight it. Batman learning about himself and learning about how to strike at the... the heart of the criminal element going after the mob, going after the crime families. I love gritty, grounded, realistic stories that pit superheroes against the mob. I, there's something about it that I really, really dig and I really adore. And there's just, there's, I mean, I've talked about it on the book club, like, there is something magical about having a costumed vigilante beat up gangsters. I just, I love it. I love that idea. And there is no shortage of that in this book. Uh, The book has what I believe to be one of the best world building that any, gotham city or any batman book is done gotham city is a character in this story gotham city has a beating heart whether it's in the slums whether it's in the high rises whether it's in wayne manor or whether it's in the gcpd headquarters you feel the almost oppressive weight of Gotham City's corruption. And you get to watch two men try and battle against it. And there is something just absolutely magical about the two of them. Not really being on the same uh, on the same page with each other. Them coming into conflict more than once. And learning to believe in each other and trust each other. And is the relationship perfect at the, at the end of the story? No, but it gives you the room to begin that story. And it's honestly a story that you can fit in at any time in Batman's history. Like we just, again, I mentioned it before, The Batman with Robert Pattinson could be a genuine sequel to to Year One. Any Batman story can have Year One at its base, and it would fit. Entirely, You know, is some of the lingo and some of the uh, vehicles and tech a little outdated for nowadays? Yeah, sure. But you do a couple updates, bing, bang, bop, it's there. And that's something that's magical about this story is that it is a definitive origin for a character that has so many different interpretations. When you're able to take a character who can be both you know the batman universe batman as well as you know the dark victory batman and still have this be their origin story you know it's something special you know that you've got something that is going to last and something that is going to uh be part of the lexicon when it comes to batman stories from now until you know we all burn up to a crisp when the sun dies uh i adore the also, the gritty, grimy 80s aesthetic. You know, I talked about how, you know, you may have to update things here and there, but I'm a sucker for that kind of like neon, uh, neon splashed noir, uh, neo noir type of sensibilities. And there is all kinds of that in the story going from the, you know, trash-ridden streets of the slums throughout Gotham City and into, you know, the high-rises of Gotham's elite, the crime families that believe themselves untouchable until Batman blows up a wall and gives them this terrifying speech while they're trying to have dinner. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love the story, and the story has, in essence, become this... uh, this prime example of a fallible Batman. I already talked about it. I love a Batman that is flawed, a Batman that makes mistakes. This Batman is still learning things. He goes out for the first time and is scaring absolutely nobody. And I love that. I love that he makes mistakes. I love that he is still learning. And that's something that I loved about the year one story, which was very close to getting on this list. Um, but every single story that has taken place following the story has a little bit of this story's DNA in it. Every story, even if you want to go into versions of the character who are fundamentally against what Frank Miller believes is the character, has some DNA in the story. You know, you want to take the uh, one of my favorite scenes, the Batman versus the cops issue. It's been in literally everything. Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Batman Begins, every single Batman story, and really every single superhero story that has dealt with the mob or corruption in the police force or any kind of corruption from the city government down has a lot to owe to this story and how it is utilized to tell the story of Batman's first year as a vigilante. We also get to see... um uh clues put forth for the uh for the larger story going forward the thing that i love about origin stories is that though you can get pretty wacky on how you get there by the end of the story it in some respect resembles the version of the character that you know and love and by the end of the story yes you know it's not super fun Batman palling around with, you know, Robin and Nightwing, but it is a version of the character that I know and love. It is a version of the character that I identify with. And when it comes to Batman stories, how, I, how much I can invest in the character of Batman has a big impact on how much I enjoy the story. So Batman Year One is worth the hype, it is absolutely one of the best Batman stories of all time. but for me, for my money and my personal opinion, it's not the best. The Batman comic that I have at my number one, the Batman comic that I believe for me is the best Batman story of all time, took place in 2011 and it is entitled Batman: The Black Mirror written by Scott Snyder with art by Jock. This took place in Detective Comics number 871 through 881, 10 issues, and for me, it's a perfect Batman story because it does it does it all. It's got your big old punch-ups. It's got human drama and it's got a detective noir story that just so happens to feature a fallible Batman who makes mistakes and is not alone. Because it's Dick Grayson Batman, baby! I don't care if people are like, Oh, that's not fair. It's Dick Grayson Batman. Dick Grayson is Batman. Dick Grayson was Batman for a good long while. And so he has already installed himself. He's already got... The resume. He's already got the pedigree. He is just as good a Batman as anybody who has ever donned the cowl. Period. Bar none. And this story, which for a lot of people is one of the definitive Dick Grayson Batman stories, if not the definitive Dick Grayson Batman story, also features, just like in year one, a Jim, a Jim Gordon story. This story takes everything that I love about the previous four places in this top five and melds them together into... What I, again, believe is the perfect Batman story. Dick Grayson is dealing with a fallout of becoming Batman, of dealing with, you know, the supernatural nonsense and the height of, or the growing rise of genetic manipulation in Gotham. He's also dealing with a supervillain auction, um and has to sneak in wearing some other guy's face so there's espionage there's silver age tomfoolery but there's also very dark subject matter people die there is a serial killer at loose and it's up to both Dick Grayson and Jim Gordon to not just figure out why the city is changing the way it is but also to figure out what this killer wants and why he's targeting the people closest to Jim Gordon I absolutely adore this story it again you know, takes a takes everything that I love from previous stories, including continuity from year one, the previous placement, and follows through on it. Gives it the uh, gives it the inspiration for what characters in this book would have going forward. This book honors its history; it doesn't throw it away. This is a book that is. Cognizant of its continuity, and I love that. I'm a I'm a lore and continuity nerd, and I love when I can, you know, look at a character's choices and think, okay, that makes sense with this that happened before. But at the same time, while having a firm grasp of its history... It also revels in the dangers of uncertainty. The ending of this story is anything but conclusive. It is incredibly ambiguous. And all of the uh, inciting incidents, all of the twists and turns have layers on top of them that make you as the reader believe, am I looking at this through the right lens? Am I watching this through the correct perspective? And in that, it's a wonderful reread. I've read it almost a dozen times at this point, and every single read I come away from it with something different. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that part of this book is straight-up psychological horror. It is a book that absolutely loves to turn these characters on their heads, have them re-examine everything that's going on with them, while also taking characters who you may not be super familiar with and giving you an inside look into what makes them tick so that you do understand them and you do get invested in them. It's a wonderful look at characters in the scope of the legacy of Batman. And if any book is not just... not so much beholden to but honors the legacy of the icon that is batman that is gotham city and everything that comes with it it's the black mirror pure and simple what i also love about this is that this book is kind of um it's more or less seen as like the last stand of the previous dc universe before the new 52 this is one of the very last storylines before the big reset happened with flashpoint Obviously, um, if you actually read the stories, uh, uh, Gates of Gotham is in fact the last uh, Dick Grayson Batman story. But if you wanted a big old send off that takes the previous uh, DC universe and represents it with as much care and you know well crafted storytelling as possible, Batman Black Mirror is that story. It is iconic. It is a wonderful read, it makes you think, it is a story that you can solve if you, have, if you pay attention to all the pieces, and it's just a damn good Batman story. Taking a character like Dick Grayson, who is not necessarily known to be the world's greatest detective, and putting him through the lens of a detective story. It's something that anytime someone asks me, okay, I want to get into Batman or I want to read more Batman comics, my first question is, have you read Black Mirror? And if not, that is the book I always recommend. And I... Love it so much that, again, I already did an episode on it. I did a full-scale episode on this. It's one of my favorite episodes I've ever done on the podcast, and it was episode 148. Full spoilers going through the entire story if you want to learn my full, complete, uncut, uncensored thoughts on that. You're going to want to go with that episode, episode 148. Again, one of my favorite episodes, one of my favorite books, Uh, Batman Black Mirror Rules. It's just the perfect Batman story. It's got high stakes. It's got incredibly intimate personal drama, and it is, for my money, the perfect Batman story. And that's it. That's my top five Batman comics. I have been a fan of Batman for a very long time and getting to reread these comics was just an absolute delight. I love Batman. I think he is, though sometimes a little oversaturated when it comes to comic book media, there is a reason that people love to see Batman stories and love to read his comics because a lot of times they are the most compelling comics on the shelves and i'm sure that as we go along here there will be more batman stories there will be more iconic batman tales and the batman as one grant morrison once said will never die (laughs) Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of March 9th, 2022. This is the segment of our show where I talk about all the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, because there's a lot, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the playing Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, it was very tough, there was a lot of good comics that came out. But ultimately, I gave it to Batman Killing Time, written by Tom King, art by Dave Marquez. Um, You know what? I wasn't expecting to love this issue, but I loved it. I absolutely adored this. Um, You know how much I love heists and the way that this was set up as very much a heist issue. I just, I adored it. And maybe it's my The Batman bias going on right now, but it's Bat March. I can't help it. But that's last week's books. This week we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve books. So let's go ahead and dive into this. First off, Devil's, a double feature of Devil's Reign with Devil's Reign Moon Knight number one, this is written by Jed McKay with art by Federico Sabatini. And. All the, devil, all the Devil's Reign books have been really good, so I'm expecting nothing less from this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. After being arrested by the Thunderbolts as part of Wilson Fisk's crackdown on costumed heroes, Moon Knight is now a prisoner in the high-tech Myrmidon, surrounded by hostile guards and many of the very criminals he helped put away. Mark Spectre must fight for his survival, but... Moon Knight's quest for justice doesn't end just because of a little light incarceration. Yeah, so this sounds really interesting. I love, I always love when Daredevil gets sent to prison, so I'm excited to see what happens when Moon Knight gets sent to prison. And in the second part of our Devil's Reign double feature, we have Devil's Reign Superior 4, number three, written by Zach Thompson with art by David Tinto. And this has been very interesting. I don't know what I expected this book to be, but it has been Completely not what I expected, but I've been really enjoying it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Fantastic Four are no more. Long live the Superior Four stranded in the multiverse Otto octavius must swallow his pride and submit to a truly inferior creature in order to be saved now only one question remains can he regain the trust of the superior four and repair the fabric of the multiverse without erasing himself from existence in the process yeah the whole multiversal aspect of it i wasn't expecting for this book but i'm really enjoying it i'm excited to see how this all wraps up. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is Trial of the Amazons number one, the big Wonder Woman event for this year. Uh, it's being written by Becky Cloonan, Vida Ayala, uh, Michael Conrad, Stephanie Williams, and Joelle Jones with art by Joelle Jones, Elena Casagrande, Laura Braga, Skylar Partridge. And this is, this has been highly anticipated. Um, all the Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl books have been making their way towards this. So we are going to get a big blockbuster Wonder Woman title. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. After the events of Nubia and the Amazons, the dangers of Doom's Doorway have found their way to man's world, and garnered the attention of not one, but all three Amazonian tribes. The Migdal consider it to be a weakness in the current regime and have decided to return to the shores of Themyscira to stake their claim over the island. Little do they know, the Escasida not far behind, but instead looking for help to combat the evil unleashed. Tempers rise and swords are brandished as the women argue about the best course of action. Now, Queen Nubia must show them all the way to peace by calling for one of the most famous Amazon traditions, the Contest. Who among them is worthy of leading them into the future? Find out as the bravest, wisest, and fiercest warriors compete to be the champion of all the Amazons. This is going to be a big deal. Uh, High stakes. We don't know who's going to come out of this as the champion. And I think that's really cool because we've got tons of contenders. We'll just have to see how this shakes out. Next up, we have Hawkeye. Kate Bishop number five. This is written by Marik Nijkamp with art by Enid Balam. And... I've been loving this book. I'm really kind of sad that this is it. I'm sad that this is the last issue, but I've been loving it so far, and I'm excited to see how it concludes. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. It all comes down to this. Kate, Susan, and Lucky have to shut down Resort Chapiteau once and for all. And to do that, they have to follow the circus of crime into the very last place Kate ever wants to go, home. Don't miss this fantastic Hawkeye finale. You will have such a good time. Bold, bold words, but I'm excited to have a good time and I sure hope that this book delivers. Next up, we have Captain Carter number one. This is written by Jamie McKelvey with art by Marika Cresta. And I'm excited about this. I love the concept of Captain Carter. I loved her in What If? And I'm excited. Give me more Peggy Carter, always. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Woman out of time. A reality where Agent Peggy Carter took the super soldier serum is turned upside down when the World War II hero is pulled from the ice where she was lost in action decades before. Peggy struggles to find her footing in a modern world that's gotten a lot more complicated. Cities are louder. Technology is smarter, and enemies wear friendly faces. Everyone with an agenda wants Captain Carter on their side. But what does Peggy want? And will she have time to figure it out when mysterious forces are already gunning for her? Prolific comics creator and designer Jamie McKelvey teams with rising star Marika Cresta to tell an unforgettable Captain Carter story for a modern age. So I'm not sure which version of Captain Carter this is going to be, if it's going to be an adaptation of the What If, if it's going to be a previous Captain Carter like we saw in the Exiles book, or if this is just a brand new Captain Carter. But either way, I am here for the ride. It should be a really fun time. Next up, we have Thor, number 23. This is written by Donnie Cates with art by Nick Klein. And this seems to be the conclusion for the God of Hammer story arc. And I am very interested to see how this wraps up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. God of Hammers finale. It's the final chapter in Thor's brutal war against the God of Hammers, and after a horrific and tragic loss, Thor is more determined than ever to finish the fight once and for all. But can he triumph without Mjolnir at his side? Either way, by issue's end, Thor's life will be irrevocably changed. It's promising big changes. Let's see if that pays off. Next up, we have The Good Asian number 9. It's been forever since we have had a Good Asian issue, and we are in the home stretch. This and the next issue are the final two issues of the series. I've loved it from start to finish. Cannot wait to pick this up. Uh, Of course, written by Pornsock Pachet Schott with art by Alexandra Tufenki. I love this book. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Mysteries are unspooled and answers are finally revealed until our detective makes one more shocking discovery in this penultimate issue of one of 2021's most critically lauded books. Yeah, the book's been incredible. I'm excited to see one more shocking twist. Uh, We'll just have to see what it is. Next up, we have Strange Academy, number 17. This is written by Scotty Young with art by Ombutra Ramos. And I'm very sad because I found out this book is ending soon. Um, I think next issue is the last issue, and that makes me incredibly sad. But I've been loving the ride. I love Strange Academy. It's an incredible book that more people should be reading and talking about. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here careful what you wish for an ancient evil gas lamp has targeted strange academy but what is this creature really after calvin's caught in this mess and he could lose everything using magic always has a cost and strange academy's been racking up a gnarly bill but when will that bill finally come due yeah i've really been waiting to see the other pin drop when it comes to you know the cost of magic because they've been really hammering that home ever since the jason aaron and chris Baclo run of dr strange so i'm really excited to see how that ends up paying off for the entirety of strange academy next up we have detective comics number 1056 this is written of course by mariko tamaki with art by matthew or and matthew rosenberg with arts by aman k Nawelpan and fernando blanco And I keep saying it every week, Detective Comics, one of the strongest books at DC. Um, I'm very excited to see how how this ends up continuing. We are in Act 3 of the story. Cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Tower, Part 10, Slash, House of Gotham, Chapter 10. The Scarecrow Stalks the Tower. Dr. Jonathan Crane, who recently terrorized Gotham City during Fear State, is but one of many villainous inhabitants of Arkham Tower, jockeying for position as leader of the hostage situation unfolding before everyone's eyes. But with security down, Huntress, Nightwing, and Harley Quinn are no longer quite so outnumbered. Here come Batwoman, the Batgirls, and Tim Drake to the rescue. Can the Bat family save the innocent civilians caught in the crossfire? And that's not the only help arriving on the scene. On a mission to kill the source of his trauma, the boy's aim squares solely on the Joker and the Batman. Two sides of the same coin that have, in his mind, caused him and the city nothing but pain. Plus, Batgirl a villainous run-in, and another step toward disaster for Jim Gordon. Yeah, lots of plates spinning. I love this book. Next up, speaking of books I love, we have The Amazing Spider-Man number 92. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Fran Galan and Zay Carlos as well as Sarah Pacelli. And we are at the penultimate chapter for Beyond. I have no idea what's going to happen, and I love that. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Beyond, chapter 18. What happened to the lizard? And what could he, or more accurately, it, after recent ASM events, possibly have to do with what has been battering Ben Riley around? Only one issue to go, so you know big stuff is happening here. I I can't, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> I couldn't help it, but uh, yeah, I've been loving The Amazing Spider-Man, Beyond has been very special for me, cannot wait to pick this up. Next up we have, for the big two books of the week, first off, Superman, Son of Kal-El number 9, written by Tom Taylor, art by Brumino Redondo, this is part 2 of the uh, Superman Nightwing crossover, which I absolutely loved part 1, cannot wait to pick this up, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Superman Nightwing crossover part two of two. Nightwing promised Clark Kent that while he's off planet, Nightwing would look after Clark's son John as he tries to fill his father's shoes as Superman. But with someone out there murdering superpowered people, is Nightwing in over his head? Yes, very excited. Cannot wait to pick this up. But the other big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is. Of course, Devil's Reign number five, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. Um, This is really exciting. I've been loving this. We only have one more issue of this book, and I cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. As smart and ruthless as Wilson Fisk may be, he's chosen to enlist the aid of some of the most reprehensible, dangerous, and bloodthirsty criminals the Marvel Universe has to offer. He's been able to keep them on a short leash out of fear for weeks. In this issue, that fear runs out. Fisk's lackeys aren't scared of anything anymore, even him, and all of New York is left to pay the price. Yeah, Devil's Reign has been fantastic. Cannot wait to pick this up. But that does it for this week's comics countdown. To recap, we have Devil's Reign, Moon Knight number one, Devil's Reign Superior Four number three, Trial of the Amazons number one, Hawkeye Kate Bishop number five, Captain Carter number one, Thor number 23, The Good Asian number nine, Strange Academy number 17, Detective Comics number 1056, The Amazing Spider Man number 92, Superman Son of Calon number nine, and Devil's Reign number five. Lots of endings, lots of beginnings. This is going to be a great week for comics. 6. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Explained podcast, and if it is, thanks for joining us on our fourth anniversary, and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We make new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock, and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like like you. And if you give us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you would like. If you give me that five stars, I will read it on here. I will be forced to read it on here. Um, And you will be able to join the likes of our Dirty Dozen, including Seafire ND, Josh Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, and ass. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. And, if you want to be part of our Geek Geeksplain mailbag, if you want to have me talk about something if you have a question for me a comment a message for the podcast uh, if you want a quick pitch or maybe you want some recommendations that we haven't covered on the podcast yet you can send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com just put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here on the podcast like our good friends from the comics collective who have written in they say hello from your friends at the comics collective we just wanted to hold on we just wanted to write a quick note to congratulate you on the huge accomplishment of four years making Geek Explained. Your show is a weekly delight for us, and your perspective is always appreciated. The love and care you put into this show and the fun environment you have created for the book club are huge influences on us that inspire us to push ourselves to be better. Eric, you rule, and here's to many more years of Geek Explained. Dallas, Anna, and Lexi, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dallas and Lexi. You are all amazing. If you have not yet, uh, go check out their podcast. Comics Collective is amazing. If you like what I do, you're going to love what they do. Um, they're three of the hottest names in the podcast game. So go check them out. They're wonderful. The Comics Collective, anywhere you find our podcast, you'll find them. And a huge thank you to Dallas Anne, and Lexi. Um I just, I I love these folks. They are amazing. They're great friends. They are wonderful to have a conversation with about comics, about life, about anything. Uh, They're amazing. So thank you very much to them. We also have a letter from uh cole from critical rants thank you so much to cole for writing in he writes hi eric hello congratulations on four years of Geek Explained. it's a heck of an accomplishment to not only run a podcast for that long but also to improve the quality of the podcast with each successive episode Thank you. If you if you tuned in for those early episodes of Geek Explained, I'm sorry. Uh, he writes, I always look forward to Wednesdays and Fridays when new episodes of the podcast and book club drop, as it's a bright spot for me each of those days. I can't wait to see what you do next, be it on the podcast or in your voice acting career, because no matter what you do, I know you're going to create something beautiful and inspiring. Congratulations again. And I think all that's left to say is... Four more years, four more years. Your friend, Cole. Cole, my brother, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you writing in. It means the world. Cole is an incredible uh, YouTuber. He is an incredible comic tuber. Uh, Go check out Critical Rants on YouTube. Some of the best... Some of the absolute best of Comics Tube is what Cole is putting out over on Critical Rants. Um, I could spend all all podcasts talking about how good he is, but uh, go check him out. He's wonderful. He also uh, guested on our Jimuery episode. Go check that out as well. Uh, Cole, you're the man. Appreciate you so much. Enjoy Elden Ring. I know you are. And finally, uh, we have a letter from our good brother, the real deal himself, Brian Real. Uh, he writes Hi, Eric. Hello. <clears throat> He writes, I hope you're doing I hope you're doing well with everything. For my batmarch related question, I wanted to ask you your casting choice for a Batman Beyond movie if one were to be announced. Who would you like to see play? Terry, Bruce, Barbara, Max, the main villains, and anyone else of note you'd cast. Really enjoying Batmarch, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the episodes this month. Stay safe and have a good one. Best. Brian. It's always great to have Brian write in. He is wonderful. We chatted a little bit as well after both of us <laughs> went and saw the Batman. Um, Brian's a good brother, and I appreciate any time that he writes in. Uh, Brian, you are uh, running the money with your questions, strangely enough, with Bat March being what it is. Um, I am going to save your question for now because... I feel like now would be the best time to do this. As you may or may not know, uh, this month is not just special because it's back March. It's not just special because we have our four-year anniversary episode, but it's also the March to 200. At the end of this month, we will be hitting 200 episodes of the podcast, and here I can exclusively announce that our 200th episode, just like our 100th episode, is going to be another Pitch It. But this time, I'll be pitching my version of Batman Beyond a Batman Beyond film that I have been thinking about and you know visualizing and working towards for a very long time, so uh, tune in for that at the end of this month, at the end of Bat March. It's going to be our big old 200 episode where I will be answering Brian's email and I will be giving my casting choices as well as my pitch for a Batman Beyond movie. Brian, I hope that's okay. I hope you let me just hold off for just a little bit because I promise the payoff will be worth it. I know i it's probably not good to just guarantee quality, but you know what? After four years, that's just what we do here. <laughs> But uh thank you so much to the Comics Collective, to Cole, to Brian for writing in. I really genuinely do appreciate any time you guys write in. I read everything you send me, and I will always take the time to talk about comics because that's what this podcast was made to be: a conversation about comics, a podcast for nerds by a nerd. So I am very grateful to anyone who interacts with me on this. And if you want to interact. Interact with me further. If you want to follow up with the podcast, if you want to vote in polls that decide future episodes, uh, you can follow us on the social medias, Twitter and Instagram at Pod. That's at GeekSplained P-O-D. And once again, if you want to write into the podcast, uh, just send your emails to geekexplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header. I will read it on here. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, This is four years. It's kind of huge. I'm really just blown away by the support we've gotten over the years. I'm blown away by the just just the response like even as simple as getting a little message from uh, someone who you know has either sent me a dm or you know sent me an email just like hey your podcast is cool like that means the world to me and we are everywhere now i'm just i'm looking at the analytics here we are in so many countries it's kind of crazy uh we've got of course our main base in the u.s but we've also got listeners in the uk In France, in Ireland, Canada, uh, Vietnam, in Israel, we have listeners in Kuwait, we have listeners in Belgium and in Germany, we have listeners in Egypt, like that's crazy to me and I cannot thank you enough for making this uh, one of the best parts of my week, I absolutely love getting to make this podcast. Um I love that I've been able to consistently keep up with it for 4 years. Uh consistently keeping it up with something is tough. Um but thanks to you all, thanks to your support, we've gotten to 400 or 400, we've gotten to, maybe someday, uh, four years and almost 200 episodes. I cannot thank you enough. Um, You've also given me some great support through, like I said earlier, uh, your ratings and reviews on iTunes. We have 20 ratings. We are a five-star rated podcast, and that is all thanks to you folks. Um, I really genuinely do appreciate it. Uh, The podcast has been a shining light in some very difficult years where I've been able to, you know, dive deep and talk about stuff that matters and that i'm passionate about and sometimes even go on rants that i'm sure no one asked for but it you know makes me feel better to talk about it so uh, once again thank you so much to everyone who has been with me on this ride whether you were there from the beginning whether you jumped on in between Uh, I love you guys thank you so much you guys and gals and it means the world that you keep tuning in every single week Uh, tune in this Friday for our next installment of the Geek Explained book club big stuff on the way we are diving into volume 10 of Ultimate Spider-Man alongside my amazing friends Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown and as for next week uh, we're gonna be diving into a review, not just any review, a full spoiler filled review of the Batman. Tune in for that next week in part three of Bat March, and I won't be alone. I'm gonna have two amazing guests for what we're calling the Dark Knights of the Round Table. Table, 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 because it's Batman's Dark Knights and it's a round table discussion. You get it. You get it. You get it. So tune in next week for that I alongside my wonderfully sensational guests uh will be doing a full spoiler-filled review on the Batman Same Geek Time Same Geek channel. But for now for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much genuinely. Thank you so much for listening. Happy 4 years I I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to get emotional. I really genuinely do appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, stay safe, and we will see you next time. <music>